0: Welcome to Watershed's January podcast. My name is Mark Cosgrove and I'm the cinema curator here at Watershed. This month sees the launch of a new strand of conversations about cinema, which will explore the impact of conflict through film and which will run throughout our programme from January to June. It is planned and hoped that it is a stimulating way of opening up a dialogue with you, the audience, about areas which films provide a springboard into. And it is part of a national initiative developed by Watershed with partners in Wales and Northern Ireland, and supported by organisations such as the British Film Institute, Bristol University, Africa Eye Festival and Community Resolve. I am delighted to be joined by Tim Cole, Professor of History at Bristol University, who has been working with us to develop thinking and content of the programme. Welcome Tim. Thanks Mark. Um, this this area started out, um, I remember, with a conversation with you about um, the commemorations for World War I, um, the centenary commemorations, which just um, happened last year, uh, 2014. Um, and we we're talking about um, how the the conflicts are defined by those dates, so the the, the Great War um, 1914 to 1918, and then the Second World War, thirty nine to 1945. The impact of these, though, reach far beyond those dates. And we often can think about wars as being specifically between those dates, but actually, you know, the, the, the impact of those can be quite phenomenal. Could you just say a bit about, you know, what, from a historian's perspective, what, what, what that means?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, as historians, we're quite interested um, in, in almost kind of extending the chronology a little bit, so you know, 1914, 1918, stretching it so that we're obviously interested in what happens before um, but especially in what happens afterwards and pushing that chronology you know, quite a few years um, on from that. And I think that's partly because of um, the way that historians think about war, most obviously is a very destructive force. Mm. Um, so you've, you've got a, a moment in 1918 or a moment in 1945 where there's a kind of euphoria of victory but you've also got the kind of sheer destructive realities of war Mm. um, hitting home. And that obviously in 1918 is primarily about a loss of life. In 1945, it's a loss of life, plus in the British case, a loss of infrastructure. So it's about the devastation of cities like Bristol. And so that's one of the stories I think that historians are interested in telling is a story about the way in which societies, um, individuals, nations start to deal with, pick up the pieces if you Mm. like. Mm. And I think that's one of the things that's interesting about um, as the, the kind of ways in which war is destruction provides a sort of new cinemascape. So mm. there's, I mean, there's something about a ruined city, isn't there, which is a very different kind of cinemascape well, we than a built city.
0: The, well, we see these, um, and I've just seen them recently, the iconic images of Dresden with that um, amazing sculpture mm-hmm. o- overlooking. Um, and, you know, you think of um, Hiroshima mm-hmm. and The Devastated... Um, uh, and these are very powerful yeah. um, images of the, of the war.
1: Because, I mean, they're almost apocalyptic landscapes, mm. aren't they? So they're the kind of um, landscape of science fiction, mm. rather than a landscape... Um, they're a landscape of the future, an imagined future, rather than a landscape of the mm. present, so I think they're really jarring. You know, if you think about Hiroshima or, say, Warsaw mm. um, in 1945, I mean the images of Warsaw are of an entirely destroyed city. Mm. And I think one of the questions um, you know, that we're interested as a historian, um, as I'm interested in as a historian is really you know, how do you kind of start to build a new world on the basis of the rubble? But I, I think you know, this series is partly thinking about well what are the, the kind of, how far is the rubble a productive space mm. for, um, uh, for cinema to work with? Mm. So to work with these kind of apocalyptic landscapes mm. in the present, and to tell stories within those landscapes. So Mm. something like The Third Man, Mm. um, in many ways I think is working with that moment, isn't it? Which is a kind Mm. of very particular moment in urban history where um, cities um, are looking different, Mm. that there's something about the kind of planned modern city that's been undone by the destruction of war. Um, and that's a, it's almost like a liminal space where all sorts mm. of things can happen. Passport to Pimlico, you know, a lot of these mm. films are films that really are about rubble mm. and about um, destroyed urban environments, a city like you've never seen it before.
0: And, al- and also um, the ways in which the order has changed I, mean, I think the you, you mentioned Passport to Pimlico and we're screening four films as part of this um, Rebels in the Rubble season, which are Passport to Pimlico, famous healing um, comedy mm-hmm. set amidst the bombed out ruins of, of London. Then um, Rossellini's famous um, Rome Open City, which really launched um, a whole wave of cinema with neorealism, mm-hmm. which was the, f- the cameras filming in the streets and filming amongst... Um, you know the the reality of the situation. Um, Ashes and Diamond, part of Andrzej Wajda's great Polish um, war trilogy, uh, and then and then the the third man. But you know, just thinking there about that change in the order. I mean, Passport to Pimlico, whilst being a comedy, is actually quite a radical um, reimagining of the change to the social order of of the UK and England in particular.
1: And I I mean, I think that's one of the things that historians have been interested in with war is that war in many ways is the supreme test of society. So it's the kind of greatest challenge often to the status quo. So to things like gender relations um, or the class structure or existing um, norms Mm. um, and mores and values Mm. to politics, Mm. um, that there's a sense in which war comes as a a kind of massive challenge to all of that. Mm. And so I think in the immediate, I mean during the war, but especially in the immediate post-war period, you've got a kind of period of flux. So in a sense Mm. cities, you know, the kind of landscape of a city is in flux but so is the social structure Mm. or the kind of politics of a city, so I think something like Passport to Pimlico is an interesting film, in many ways, it's riffing off both those, isn't Mm. it? Because it's thinking about a sense of here, cities look different, but actually there's opportunities for a new kind of society, Mm. there's kind of radical opportunities as Mm. well. Mm. And so one of the things I think you find often in post-war moments um, is that amidst the destruction, Is a kind of window of opportunity for not just building new cities, but building new kind of worlds, imagining new kind of worlds, imagining new futures.
0: Well, and and famously, I mean, after the at the end of the Second World War, um, which was a Tory-led coalition, um, you get the general election and you get a Labour landslide. And you know, I I mean, I've always been surprised by that because Churchill was such, uh, uh, you know, the the essential figure for the UK in the Second World War and what you get immediately is him ousted and you come in with a, a Labour um, Labour government.
1: Yeah, Which is about almost wartime peacetime isn't it? So in a mm-hmm. sense there's one day isn't there that separates wartime from peacetime. Um, and partly you've got continuities but I think you've also got this kind of radical moment of change which is that actually the politics for war may not be the politics for peace. That there's a, a kind of aspiration mm-hmm. for creating something different, mm-hmm. for sort of building a new world. Mm-hmm. And I think you know that moment just at the end of wars is sort of famously a kind of moment for imagining new futures, for new kind of opportunities. Mm. And it, I mean, that, that I think is a very productive space politically. Yeah. But I think it's also interesting in, in terms of this series, i thinking about how that's a very productive space artistically as well. Mm. So what happens mm. just after the end of war mm. can be kind of culturally, as well as politically and socially, mm. economically kind of very productive.
0: And is, is there... Um, I mean, uh, what what are the... Um, what what are the sort of essential differences um, between the end of the World War One and World War Two? I mean, you said that World War One was about people, um, and World War Two because I mean the scale of mm-hmm. the the deaths in World War One, um, but World War Two was different and it had a different um, sort of legacy, a different impact. What what in sort of broad brushstrokes were the are the differences the the post World War Environment of World War One and World War Two.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think it, it, at one level, say if you just take a kind of British focus, at one level, I think it is partly about this um, sense um, of a, a greater loss of life in the context of the First World War um, compared to um, the Second World War in a kind of British dimension. But in the the British context, in particular the Second World War, there's kind of much greater impact upon. Um, Britain, you know, any notion of kind of Britain as a sort of island safe mm. is is starting to be chipped away at, isn't it? In the mm. in the context of the First War, but it's really kind of totally destroyed. You know, I think aerial bombardment is like a game changer in the way that people imagine safety mm. and think about notions of security, and that's um, starting to develop in the First World War. But aerial bombardment um, is is a critical intervention in the Second World War, and I think people think differently about themselves and about the world um, as a result of mm. the Arab. Is that about that the world
0: becoming smaller or feeling yourself ex- ex- part of it? Um... Exactly.
1: But, uh, you know, that's part of the context. I mm. mean, Second World War is a is a is a really global war, isn't it? I mean, the, the First World War has a, that global dimension to it mm. um, for sure, and is very much rooted in in Britain and Empire mm. and colonial forces and groups. But the Second World War has this much more kind of global dimension. I mean, I think things like Hirish- Hiroshima and Nagasaki are really mm. striking. Um, moments where suddenly you know the world feels like a very small place in a mm. very vulnerable place mm. and that's a kind of terrifying prospect mm. isn't it mm. and so in some ways there's a, a need to kind of deal with that in the mm. aftermath um, you know of the Second World War. The the Second World War I think as is, is well obviously in the British context it's uh, you know kind of really big moment of decolonisation, it's a, it's a radical shift mm. in position of Britain's power within the world. And is that, about, know,
0: s- is that about finally sort of um, empire declining and the sort of end of that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And about, you know, obviously the 20th century is the American century, the, the mm. kind of the sort of growth, the role of the United States. So it's there's a sense there, isn't there, where you've got the world shrinking, but also being radically reordered. Mm. So just kind of where power lies um, is, is also being um, uh, thrown up into the air. You've got this extraordinary destruction mm. with um, the use of nuclear um, weapons technology and starting the stories that are starting to come out of the death camps of Europe, mm. of the destruction of mm. an entire ethnic mm. group, the Jews. You know, mm. you know there's, there's kind of mm. some really big mm. things that are happening, mm. which in a sense, if you, if you think about forty you've got a world which is trying to work with that the, the cards have been shuffled haven't they the mm. pack has been shuffled and you're trying to work with this sort of new mm. world order which I think is about you know opportunity but it's also there's, there's a kind of a lot of fear I mm. think thrown in with that about about
0: what the, the kind of potential for destruction mm. looks like and, and how um how important was film I mean we mentioned photographs I mean how important was photography and film to Um, you know, communicating the realities. I mean, you know, of course, technologically, Mm -hmm. um, film, I guess, hadn't evolved into various portable formats um, by the end of the First World War. But by the Second World War, it it was becoming much more portable device. So, you know, Rossellini, again, you know, used the more portability of um, the film medium to be able to film these things. Um, And I suspect that, you know, the First World War, um, you know, the story was told afterwards, mm-hmm. whereas one gets a sense with the Second World War that there, there was more um, documentation, there was more footage. I mean, we just watched last year, um, there was a, a, a documentary, Night Will Fall, about mm-hmm. the liberation of, yeah. of, of Belsen. I mean, were these images getting out to people? Yeah, I mean, they, they were in a,
1: I mean, it's 20th century, isn't it? These two wars in the 20th century, um, their visual events, mm-hmm. because of um, photography and film, First World War primarily, um, as a, a mix of photography and then also the war artists or kind of more traditional visual arts. Second war, I think, um, you know, the newsreel footage is, is really a significant moment, especially with the Allied advance post um, D-Day. You know, in a sense, it's not quite live film footage streaming, is it? It's not the kind of 24-7 um, TV news, but it's the beginning of that sense of a kind of reportage as the Allies advance um, towards Berlin. And that being played back um, onto um, cinema screens within the United Kingdom and also into um, the United States, mm-hmm. and that so those kind of images are really powerful. I mean, mm-hmm. someone like Susan Sontag, you know, kind of great writer um, about photography, um, she talks about the Life um, magazine images of the liberation of the camps mm-hmm. by the Americans. I think it's Dachau or Buchenwald as this kind of searing moment where it's like she can split her world into the moment before she saw those images mm. and the moment afterwards. And, and those kind of images of, of destruction, of the kind mm. of sheer human cost of war, I think they come very quickly mm. in, the, in, the, in 1945 to a very wide audience. Mm. Um, and they, they're they very powerful images that, you know, become replicated mm. um, later on and used later on. Although it's interesting, you know, that film, the Andre Singer film about Night Will Fall, obviously is also about the way that some of those images are too powerful mm. in that context. And so there's also censorship. Mm. Yeah. So there's a kind of use of images, but there's also a censoring of images. There's a very, you know, kind of particular sensibility and sort of politics, which isn't necessarily showing all of those images. But I think it is a moment in 45 where, you know, you really do have this sort of, Live reportage, almost, of um, yeah. of the final stages of a war, which is very novel. Mm. There's something new about that,
0: mm. and, all, and also, um, you know, saying about um, film being uh, much more uh, usable as a as a medium. So, as I said, Rossellini can do um room open city um and film it. um you know use natural light mm-hmm. you didn't need you could just have the the camera you know very early sort of primitive sound but but make that film but also you know going back to passport to Pimlico is that the the you know the film industry is still working it's still making mm-hmm. entertainment mm-hmm. for people mm-hmm. uh, but the landscape in which it's filming the 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 environment in which it's filming of course is the, mm-hmm. the very mm-hmm. real environment of the the world around it so yeah, yeah. so the so the creatives have gone through that and they will be dealing um even though it's an entertainment context mm-hmm, will mm-hmm. still be dealing with the it'll be seeping in that impact yeah um, yeah yeah, yeah, be
1: yeah. And it, i mean it's interesting isn't it passport to publico that it in a sense it doesn't kind of shy away from the reality that british cities look different mm. <laughs> in um the mid-1940s than they looked in the mid-1930s because of this kind of destructive moment in 4041 you know that's becomes a part of the a, a new reality mm. which you can then place kind mm. of Sort of political comedy within,
0: and in a way that that, that new reality is a good um, phrase because it applies to Andrzej Wajda's, um, you know, dealing with mm-hmm. the new reality of the world in in, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. in, in Poland, um, and you know even as you say through the Third Man, which is you know um, you know fantastic, um, atmospheric uh, crime yeah, film yeah, with yeah. a very sort of dubious uh, morality, but again mm-hmm. within the the very real context mm-hmm. of this yeah. split up um austria
1: yeah, yeah that's right and the kind of this sort of uh, the black market's really important and there's a it's, it's kind of a, a sort of an underworld that's operating which i think is about this this uh, you know austria in that period is an interesting place isn't it i mean this is occupied territory but it's been fought over by the allies it's been kind of carved up by the allies and it's about moving between those zones i mean that's a very unusual space isn't it so mm-hmm. if you think of th- of the way the world is mapped out, the world is traditionally been mapped out into these kind of stable borders of these geopolitical nations. Suddenly, you've got these really interesting spaces like Vienna, um, in the setting for the Third Man, where there's 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 kind of cracks between, and there's and all people these people are going people.
0: to work out ways of moving between them, Ex- which of yeah. course is what Harry Lime exactly Harry Lime and, Lime does.
1: And it kind of gives you that feeling of a kind of brooding space of opportunity and threat, doesn't mm. it? Which is sort of I think part and parcel of that kind of immediate post-war but Also, world. the
0: also the the you know sort of the moral. Values might have shifted. Mm-hmm. They might have, you know, they might have um, collapsed somewhat. And how you sort of rebuild that. as you yeah. say, the the world order has sh- changed and shifted. We're not quite sure, in a way, what's good and what's bad. Yeah, yeah and, absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I, th- I mean, I think that's one of the things that, that war classically does in the 20th century is it really does shake, mm. kind of the kind of core notions of what good and evil are, of what is right and wrong, of um, you know what belief is, and and those kind of things. So you you've got that sort of moment of a kind of radical shaking. Mm. And that sort of, you know, I I think there is a sense of of somewhere like, say, post-war Vienna, it's very much a liminal space, you know, which is it's kind of betwixt and between. It's between um, war and peace. It's Mm. between a kind of, you know, being a sovereign territory and becoming something that's kind of under this I like a control. And it's between this moment where, you know, a set of values are being kind of questioned and challenged, mm. and there's sort of opportunities in that, as well as, mm. um, you know, as a kind of the downside of that, which I think comes across really powerfully in, in The mm. Third Man. It's a brilliant film in some ways, it kind of evoking just this kind of strange place and, and time.
0: And I think, you know, Austin Wells, and I'm sure that's what was, why he was attracted to play the part, is that it's, it, it's a complex character who is, is neither good nor bad mm-hmm. but he's 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 both yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. so he's very charming but he's also dealing in contraband and mm-hmm. ultimately it's killing people and you when know, you get the backstory mm-hmm. but it, as you say it provides that um uh, flux mm-hmm. that um you know that, that character can portray really brilliantly which i'm sure is why <laughs> why some of the like Wales would want to yeah.
1: to do it but i think it is you know i think the world is in flux in those moments you know mm-hmm. 1918 1919 20 mm-hmm. 1945 46 seven, you know that, mm-hmm. that things are up for grabs aren't mm-hmm. they and so it's a really slippery mm-hmm. um kind of moment um where an a, a sense of of the old hasn't quite yet gone the new hasn't yet quite come there's a kind of negotiation there's a mm-hmm. sort of Emerging of those um, two,
0: and what and what about um, you know moving on to films which you know go back to that moment, so Testament of Youth um, is is coming up, um, which is a new film from Vera Brittain's um, famous memoir of World War One. I. I mean, what, what 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 do you think about films that are dealing with that moment in the past? You know, the sort of examples that you would say are kind of good examples of of how that um y- you know immediate uh, post-war moment has been has been dealt with
1: i mean i think one of the hardest things probably for film to deal with is to deal with kind of void absence mm. so that's obviously one of the things that's happening isn't it in that moment um, so you've got these kind of gaps which is you know gaps in families and in communities um in an in a nation within the continent and, and sort of visually, say post 45, you, you know, you've got the bomb sites, haven't you, which kind of persists through to the 50s. So you've got these kind of gaps in a city, but there's these kind of more profound gaps, absences, voids, which I think is the hardest thing in many ways for film to deal with. You know, it's that's the kind of challenge visually, isn't it? It's how do you represent absence, mm-hmm. the kind of that which has gone and which will never be replaced. Um, and in particular people, so absent people, I think is one of the sort of bigger representational challenges it's not just film you know it's the kind of arts it's um it's in in literature that's the sort of the real challenge I think of a post-war moment is how do you try and capture convey that sense of the thing that's gone hmm. death you know the kind of ultimate sort of void in absence um, and I suppose memorials are trying to deal with that aren't they it's a the sort of memorial culture that emerges in 1919 um, you know which is really trying to deal with that but that, that feels to me like one of the kind of the really nub cinematographic. Kind of cinematic challenges artistic challenges representational challenges
0: i mean a way that um the film that comes to mind actually is polanski's the pianist which is you know returned to polanski to um warsaw in the second Mm -hmm. world war and um which is a film um i'm sure we'll screen as part of um the conversations about cinema impact the conflict, but it, it seemed to me that he, it, because he'd lived through it, Polanski's. of course Polanski's also in the Andre Vida films. That's mm-hmm. how he, when he was when he was a teenager, he was he was um, working with Andre Vida um, in those films and famously got out of the ghetto, um, and he makes this film, The Pianist, about ten years ago, um, and extraordinarily powerful, and it feels as though there's an authenticity in that he understands that very thing that there's the absence mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. all those things and the horror and everything. And there's a feeling that, you know, unlike a film like, say, Fury, which I watched and was very uh, concerned about as a, as a, as a, as a film, um, the pianist seems to have an authenticity to it. And perhaps that comes through the the the, the lived experience, mm-hmm. which Polanski has, which he never talks about, but it feels as though it's very much up there in the screen. Yeah,
1: and I mean, it's, it's an interesting notion, isn't it? It's about almost like who can make who can make a film about war, who can make a film about the Holocaust, who, uh, in, you know, in that context, Polanski. Um, is, is there a kind of authenticity about mm-hmm. actually being there that gives you a sense of the, the kind of finer,
0: mm-hmm.
1: almost imperceptible, hard to communicate sort of notions mm-hmm. and ideas? I mean, I think Pianist is a really powerful, brilliant film in many ways. There's that wonderful moment, isn't there, I think, in the film where um, the guy who's managed to survive Nazi, occupation of the city is threatened to be killed during the point of Soviet liberation. And that's kind of one of those moments, isn't the kind of sort of classic ambiguities of this kind of final phase of the war where um, you know he survived it seems like he survived and the war's over and yet in some ways the war is still carrying on and obviously that's a very strong narrative in the Polish, in the Polish case across Eastern Europe. Um, there's a question isn't there and if you look back at it now is that Soviet liberation is, is looked at in a different way um, yeah. post-89 isn't it? As not just a kind of liberation but also a new sort of occupation yeah. um, within the East and that's very strong I think within Eastern Central European filmmaking is kind of working with that sort of ambiguous story.
0: And it's that thing about revisiting the subject matter. So, um, Andrzej Wajda, whose Ashes and Diamonds were screening and was made, you know, a few years after Mm the post, very much about that um, uh, post-war experience. But he revisits Katyn, where um, the uh, Polish uh, elite were all um, killed um by by the Russians mm-hmm. and it was suppressed for uh, a long time and he and then it became public but he he you know famously made a film about it um a few years ago. And it feels like there are directors who've come through the Second World War um who, you know, do want to go back and revisit those mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. and you say it in the sort of Eastern European mm-hmm. from the Eastern European perspective as well.
1: I mean it's it's interesting, isn't it? It's still those wars are still very Kind of productive spaces culturally Mm. i mean they're they're kind of revisited and revisited again you know that contemporary films are still in some ways going back to those moments i mean there's not a sense is that you get kind of 1945 boom end there's a kind of little limited moment of kind of cultural production and then that's over actually these are these are stories that people return to Mm. um again and again and i think you know it's it's sort of emerged the wars those two wars have emerged as defining events haven't they within European um, history and culture, and I think they, they remain very sort of potent cinematic um, experiences. You know, it's, I mean, you kind of hope that, I mean, obviously I've got a vested interest in historians looking mm. at that period, but I think there's a vested interest in the in sense of everyone looking at that period, that, that artists need also to be engaged, because those are kind of significant moments that generate, I think, much bigger, broader questions about humanity, what it means to be human. Those are the kind of things that matter in some ways, mm. aren't they asking those big questions?
0: Mm. And what, what's um, planned with the season is that, you know, audiences are going to be invited in to engage with it as well, engage with the work that artists, filmmakers have made uh, about it. So is, is there a way in which, um, you know, film either at the time or was made at the time or by filmmakers reflecting back can, can be viewed as a history lesson?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think to some some extent, I think think there's two histories operation with any of these films. One is the kind of the history of the event that it's talking about, say First World War, Second World War. I think for me, often the more interesting history is the kind of the moment of the production of that film. And I mean, that's one of the things I'm really interested in in as a historian is that I'm really interested in not just what happened during the wars, but also the ways in which um, post-war generations have sought meaning and uncovered stories and I think those stories say as much say about the post-war world as they do about the war themselves and so I think that's one of the things that's really interesting about cinema and, and war is the way that actually for me cinema itself is, is historical. It needs to be historicised that these films are made at a particular moment and those in a sense reflect the kind of concerns of that moment as much as they tell us anything about the, the war themselves and so I think they're really valuable. Um, stories to get us thinking historically. I mean, I guess I'm interested in that more generally. As a historian, I'm kind of interested in maybe as people go and watch these films, um, thinking not just about the war, um, but thinking about the moment when that film was reflecting on the war and also our own sensibilities today as a cinema audience. So you've got kind of three histories at play. Mm. You've got the history of now, today, the history of back then, which might be 1946 you know, in Vienna or whatever, 45, 46 Vienna. But you've also got this moment when this film is being made and the kinds of concerns mm. of a post-war world. And I think that's what I always find really stimulating thinking as a historian about cinema, is that, that kind of moving between those different moments in time. And sitting in the, the cinema watching a movie, it kind of forces me in some ways to confront and deal with those three different moments in time mm. and the kinds of things that matter you know, at those different moments in time
0: i think that's a really interesting point because what does it mean for an audience to sit today in in watershed or in a cinema and watch you know ashes and diamonds mm-hmm. Rome mm-hmm. open city passport to pimlico you, you know what 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 is that what do you bring do you see it as a, a as a historical document yeah yeah uh, or do you see it as very much telling us something about that we can learn from telling mm-hmm. us something about um the impact of the impact of war Mm -hmm. um, and how we might take that uh, sensibility forward because, I mean, you know, wars are not going away. Um, they're very much, and they become more technologicalized uh, mm-hmm. as well. And and you know, how do you connect those? As you say, how yeah, do you connect yeah. those histories? Yeah. Histories up. And, and I
1: think, I mean, that gets at the question. I think, in some ways, this this um, series there'll be quite a lot of films that are about very specific wars and very particular places. You know, say Poland, mm-hmm. in the aftermath of the Second World War is a very particular place, isn't it? Um, and so I think one thing that you know we can think about as audiences is trying to get ourselves inside the head of of what. Um, The second war and its aftermath mean in Poland um, and uh, or what it it looks like in Vienna and the kind of ways that that's thought about in the aftermath but I think there is a place for this to not just be a, a series which is about the particular but also about the general which is just about war isn't it it's about war and conflict it's about destruction and construction it's about opportunity and threat in the aftermath of these kind of events. And so I think as as audiences, I mean, you know, this is the the sort of tough challenge in some ways is that we're gonna be working with a series of different historical moments. Now, the moment the film was made and the moment it's talking about, and we're also gonna be moving in between the particular, Poland, Mm -hmm. in the second World War, and just the general about the nature of, of loss. And I mean, cinema, I think, often does that. You know, I think art does that, doesn't it? That it's often about the particular. But it's also asking some really big questions, mm. and it's challenging us to, to to draw those connections, and to think about how um, this object of art, this film about this particular place at that particular moment, connects with other places in the globe, um, and also just our own experiences. And so I think, I mean, to me, that can be a really productive conversation about cinema. Mm. Is that sense of trying to move between
0: the general and the particular, and between sort of different historical moments? So lots for uh, discussion and lots of food for thought, and we want you the audience to please um, contribute um, and take part in this ongoing conversation about cinema which starts January at uh, Watershed and will be running until June. For more information about how to get involved and for the films that we are screening as part of the season then please go to watershed.co.uk. That's all for this month.